Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Okay, if you will stand with me, I'm going to read the scripture for today. And at the end, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will say, thanks be to God. Romans 3, 1 through 20. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness, faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my life God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying? The condemnation, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And kids, you can go to your classes. Uh, Well, my name is John Fouché. I'm the executive pastor of... I um, wanted to, to begin, first of all, by saying thank you, Tiffany. You actually just summarized my entire sermon. If y'all want to go home early, you can. Um, many of you know, I thought I'd give you a little update on my brother. Uh, he, many of you know that uh, he's been dealing with stage four cancer, uh, for colon cancer, for a year. Uh, we are very close, and I'm spending a lot of time going down uh, to Texas every few weeks or so. Um, I, many of you have prayed for him and prayed for us, and I, it really means a lot. Some of you have given gift cards uh, to help Lindsay and the boys when I'm out of town to make those trips a little bit easier, and I'm really thankful. That's already been uh, really, really helpful. Uh, yesterday, uh, on Friday, he got more PET scans, which they do every couple months to, just to check and see how much it's pre- progressing or regressing. And yesterday, I looked up on his on the internet, 
<clears throat> at the radiologist notes, and it's pretty bad. Um, it just kind of hit me in the gut, and uh, it's progressed where it's all it's all over the place. It's it's progressed in his brain as well, and so um, my sister and um, I and his girlfriend all decided let's not tell him because whenever he hears this news, he's just uh, he. He has some kind of physical thing. He passes out or he um, starts coughing up a lot of blood or bloody noses. There's always a physical thing that means it. And so we're meeting with the oncologist in the morning, uh, and we just decided to let the doctor say it. In part, also, because you can read a radiologist report. It's not going to be as accurate, of course, as the physician. And that's the way it usually goes best if you let the physician explain it anyway because you don't really fully know what you got. But yesterday, when I was, um, I heard this news, uh, I was with my boys and went on a run, and every half mile or so, I just had to stop and just like, uh, just felt like I couldn't keep running. But the longer I thought about this scripture, and uh, which was also very much on my mind because I was about to speak on it, and this situation, the, the more it just uh, became healing for me. And so I'm going to uh, unpack this scripture uh, because this scripture does have a lot to do. Um, at, and my brother's cancer can certainly be an illustration of the sin that we struggle with. Um, and so now the illustration's going to break down a couple times. So, you know, uh, it's not sin, it's not cancer exactly, but there's a lot in line there. Uh, as we, I would like to ask for your uh, prayer, though, especially for our meeting in the morning. I, we're, he's got one more chemo stop on their tricks, and it has the least outcomes and the, the worst side effects. And, um, and I think we're already to the place of pl planning for him to pass away, and he's definitely come to terms with that. Uh, but I do anticipate it being a rough uh, few weeks. Um, the, today, in today's scripture, we're talking about um, the cancer that we all have in common, which is sin. And we've been talking about this in the first three chapters of Romans. Uh, the first three chapters of Romans, Paul is unpacking how we're all sinners. First, in chapter 1, he says, the people that aren't the people of God, the people that look like sinners, they're sinners. In chapter 2, he says, now the people that are the people of God and that really think they're not sinners, they're sinners as well. And so basically the beginning of this chapter, Paul's anticipating several yeah buts, exceptions. What about this? What about this? What about this? Because God's people are really coming to terms with the fact that Paul is saying, and Scripture has said clearly, that all of us are sinners. And so um, well, I want to talk to you about three things today. I want to talk to you about this this proclivity that we all have to resist the bad news, all right? And then I want to talk about accepting the good news, uh, accepting the bad news and accepting the good news. So let's talk a little bit about first uh, resisting the bad news. There are four questions that are brought up in this. Now, it's kind of a little bit confusing, uh, and if further it goes along, the more it becomes kind of illogical questions that Paul's anticipating, which is often the case when you really don't want to hear the sobering news in yourself. You can get a little bit like overly uh, illogical here. And so I want to summarize the four questions quickly, and then I'm going to give you a chart 
uh, that gives you an idea that wraps up and kind of pulls together what Paul is saying here. So there's four questions at the beginning of Romans 3 that the Jews are asking. The first one is, well, hey, if we're sinners too, like the Jews, like the Gentiles, the non-Jews, then what advantage do we have? And Paul says, you have a tremendous advantage. You're given the oracles of God. It is a tremendous advantage uh, to grow up hearing Scripture because it gives you an accurate view of God and of people, and it kind of tells you the way life works. And so it is an advantage to grow up hearing Scripture. That's the first two verses. The second question is in the next two verses, verses 3 and 4. And he basically says, they basically ask, or Paul anticipates them asking, since the Jews were unfaithful by not keeping God's word, does that make God unfaithful? Because he's the one that shows them in the first place. And uh, Paul answers with this phrase you saw, by no means. It's the Greek word or phrase, megenotoi, which is like, no stinking way. Or as I jokingly say to myself, it's like Paul's saying, what are you smoking? You know? Why should God be judged for something you did wrong? That's basically what he's saying. And in this, there's some interesting things that are said here. One is he says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. In other words, like, let's not confuse who's the true one here. We're having trouble coming to terms with the bad news. We're resisting the bad news. And when so, we can really live a lie. But God is true. Second thing he does is point to a scripture that David writes about with Bathsheba after he owns up with this sin. And uh, he's saying, you know, God is justified. Um, And so that's the second question. The third question is, if unrighteousness is necessary for God's righteousness, is our sin highlights God's righteousness, is it fair for him to judge us? And it's always squirmy. You always feel kind of squirmy and you just want to just You just always want to get out of judgment. I mean, who doesn't want to get out of judgment? But God's got to be fair, and God is fair. And Jeff talked a lot about this last week. For judgment to be fair, there has to be a standard, a law. There has to be an evaluation of the uh, evidence. There has to be a fair or right judge, which God is, and the consequences that match the crime. You don't get any special favors just because you're a rich kid. You know, you don't get off from a crime uh, just because you're privileged. And then finally, the fourth one is, fourth question is, well, why not just keep sinning? Wouldn't that glorify God? <laughs> why not just do evil? Uh, because that would just glorify God. And you could just tell that the questions are just getting more illogical. And Paul basically doesn't even answer. He says, see there, look at what you're saying. He says, their condemnation is just. Now, this line of question is really just uh, understandable, because when you think you're a good person, it's hard, hard to hear that you're not, right? It's understandable. We all do this. Even though, though we might have messed up, it's hard for somebody to come to you and say, uh, yeah, that was wrong. It's really hard, and it doesn't matter what it is. It is hard to do it. We all get defensive in the same kind of way. Uh, and that's what's happening here, that sometimes we would rather resist the bad news and live a lie than live uh, or own up or call it what it is. Uh, there's a helpful illustration from Surge Ministries, and I want to talk about this is the advantage 
of growing up and hearing the Bible or learning the Bible is one, as time goes on in your life, there becomes this fork in your awareness, in your understanding. You start to realize, man, God is really great. The awareness of God's righteousness just increases the more you realize that. And then at the same time, the awareness as you have your Bible open of our sinfulness is really, really growing deeper. And as you progress through life, if you have your Bible open, you start to see this gap bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's a good thing. Now, I'm not saying with this that we make God more righteous or we make us more sinful. I'm saying our awareness grows as we move through life, okay? And so many times what we'll do is we put, we try to put ourselves on that top line to say we're in the right. When in essence, that's when something gets to be a problem. Other times when we are really aware of our sinfulness, we try to put something else on the line of being right. A certain, uh, a certain thing in the world that we ask it to disciple us, unbeknownst to us, to form us. We listen to our news channels and say, this is the right position. We listen to social media. Here's the right Instagram account. She does all the cool stuff. And we start putting these other ideals on that top line, and we get ourselves into trouble, and then it becomes harder to hear the truth. But we all do resist uh, resist the bad news. And then once we see this, we're trying to find either something to put on the top line or we're trying to find something that will uh, bring down the gap, that will bridge the gap, okay? So Paul is saying to the Jews first, yes, you're privileged because you've been taught God's words, but the bad news is all of your justifying questions and defensiveness is just really you living a lie. So let's talk about accepting the bad news. Okay, in chapter, in verses 9 through 20, I'm going to do a summary real quick on the whole chapter, and then we're going to keep on building out uh, what we're talking about here. Paul comes back to the same question. What's the advantage to the Jew? First time he says, yes, it's an advantage uh, because they're privileged to learn the truth. But then he asks the same question again. What's the advantage of a Jew? And he's like, yeah, not much. <laughs> he says the opposite. And he's basically saying, because you don't get any special favors when it comes time to evaluate yourself according to your bad news. You don't get any special favors. You might be privileged to grow up with the truth, but that doesn't mean you get to get off um, from, from being it. And he makes the point that no one is righteous, all of us, all humanity, um, that we are all under, under sin. And we have inherited this dreadful disease since Adam and Eve, all right? Paul isn't denying that people are made in the image of God, though. It's not what we're saying. Within, because he would certainly affirm that people are made with inherent dignity and worth. But, um, and he's not saying we're utterly depraved, like we can't ever do anything good. He's saying we're totally depraved, that there is a God, God standard for righteousness. It's so perfect that nobody's meeting that standard. Okay? Really only one person did, and of course we're going to get into that in a minute. It's a church, it's a Christian church, and you'll know where we're going. Um, no one, not even the privileged Jews, are deserving of special favors. And Paul goes to great lengths to quote a series of Old Testament verses from Psalms and Isaiah right here in the bottom part of the passage we read 
It's saying again, yeah, really, no one's righteous. That's what the Bible says. And Paul says, look at the evidence. He actually says, look at your throat, look at your tongue, look at your lips, look at your mouth. You're trying to defend yourself. Look at your feet, they're wayward. Look at your eyes, they don't fear God. He's saying, look at the body. There's evidence all over the body that it's spread. So in verse 19 and 20, he comes down to the to the big picture, and I'm going to read this again to you. And it's just really all chapter, the first three chapters come down to these two verses, and he says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. The whole world may be accountable to God, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of of sin. Paul says as simply, as hard as we may try, we have no defense. We need to accept the bad news. Now, this, there's a word in here called justified, and that's going to be a big word in the rest of Romans. Justify is here. Justification is kind of a major doctrine uh, in Christianity. And let me explain, define a little bit what justification is. It means to be declared righteous. Now, you, we use this, although a little bit different way, in English. So, for example, if your math teacher says, justify your work, what does she mean? Prove it. Okay, you can't just get, show the, write down the problem and then put down the answer. You've got to show the steps of how you got there. And at the end of that justification of your work, she checks it off and says, you're justified. You proved it. Uh, last week, Jeff mentioned the Rocky and Creed movies. In Rocky 1, Rocky's asked, why do you fight? And he said, to prove that I'm not a bum. I loved it when my boys and I watched Creed 1 a few weeks ago, and he was asked, why do you fight? And he said, to prove I'm not a mistake. And at the end of these movies, by these hard work and determination, we see these guys as heroes, and we think they're justified. That's what they're trying to do is they're leaning on their hard work, their performance, to try to overcome and say, see there, I am somebody. I am right. So in sports and math, you know, we, we typically uh, can see how we use this word this way. Um, but the Jews are trying to prove that they're right because of the, their works of the law. Now, there's a lot of theological debate on this. We could talk about that later. You can contact me about that. But here in verse 20, he says, the works of the law apply to all people, the, the Jews, the Gentiles, everybody. You'll never be right by trusting in your good works. You'll never be justified by trusting in your good works. You'll never get the check off because you won't be able to carry off God's word perfectly. It's about performance. A few verses later, he uses this phrase again, the works of the law in verse 28, and he applies it to the Jews and Gentiles. He said, you'll never be made right by trusting in your group. And we do this all the time. When we resist the good news or the bad news, it's often because we have trusted either in our performance or in our influential group. So, for example, you might say, uh, I'm not a sinner, I'm a good person. That's trusting in your personal performance, Right? You might say, I'm not one of those permissive parents. I teach my kids to be respectful. That's about your performance as a parent, right? You might say, I don't cheat. I'm a good student. I'm a good employer or employee. 
I'm not emotionally volatile. I'm healthy. That's what you're basically doing is you're pointing to something that you could say, look at me my, and my performance. I'm in the right. I'm justified. But it doesn't just go that way. It also goes towards our group. You know, my group is good. I'm one of the good guys, but they're the bad guys. You know, I don't eat lunch with the freaks. I eat lunch with the popular kids. <laughs> I don't work at the old guard IBM. I work at Red Hat. All right, we do this all the time with our group, our corporate group, or uh, our religious group. I'm not like one of those annoying Mormons that knock door to door. I go to Oak City Church. Now, I hope nobody says that. Everybody's like, what's Oak City Church? <laughs> if you watch too much Fox News, though, you say, I'm not like one of those liberals. I want to make America great again. Or if you listen to CNN too much, you're like, I'm not like one of those bigots. All my friends are woke, right? So these are groups that are basically saying, this is what we're doing to justify ourselves. We're in the right, and the other guys are in the wrong, right? This is basically what we all keep doing in all these different areas of life. And it works until our good work, our good group falls apart, right? And then we kind of have trouble. Like good parents, which it's good to be a good parent. I'm not trying to say some of these things aren't good. But it, when good parents have their uh, kids get disrespectful, it becomes really personal, doesn't it? Why? Because they put too much emphasis in their performance. Or when your political party betrays another politician that didn't vote according to the political lines, you've got to decide, well, kinda, I kind of like that guy, and I kind of like why he's standing up and doing what he's doing. But they're being betrayed. Why? Because that political party is trying to justify their own existence and be in the right. These best efforts are undone by hearts. You see, the self-centered motivations, even with our good things, show and betray themselves. It's good to be a good parent. But when you freak out because your kid misbehaves, it's because your motives for being a good parent are self-serving. Uh, Paul is saying we have no defense. Every mouth is stopped. You and I can come to a lot of excuses why we shouldn't accept the bad news, but in the end, we're trying to justify ourselves. We're all infected by sin. We all have this cancer. We are all determined for death. And why not just say, say it and own up? Now, I'll say, I, I know some of our answers. Well, I know why not to just say it because people need to hear that they're good. People need hope. And listen, I get it. I'm the one not telling my brother about his results right now. I get it. It's a natural reaction. But can you imagine if my brother never knew that he had cancer? Can you imagine if, if somebody never knew that they're trying to justify themselves and they're a sinner and they keep just switching different things that they look to to justify themselves or different groups. Um, it's better because when you accept the bad news, you actually become a little bit more human. You know, my brother has actually become very empathetic and very compassionate this last year. His encouraging words and his intentionality with the people that he meets with are amazing. He's become more human. He's become uh, a better human by accepting the bad news of his cancer. He has gotten purposeful 
And he's most of all looked for solutions to heal him. And his number one solution to heal him is not his doctor. It's God. And I could not be any more proud of him. Um, so there's no way around it. If you want to give people hope, you've got to lead them the bad news, but you don't leave them there. Christianity is about the good news. That's what gospel means in Greek is good news. You lead them the bad news and say, now guess what? There's a solution. There is someone that heals. So let's talk a little bit about accepting the good news. A couple of verses later, which we'll cover a little bit more at Easter, um, but I couldn't stop here because that's the point of where Paul's going here. Um, he says here in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I cannot read this verse without saying something about my dad. Whenever my mom would bring up something against my dad, he would say, All have sinned. She'd giggle and he'd get off. <laughs> I don't think it's meant to be that way, but she would giggle, and he got her, and like, they rolled through it. All have sinned. That was the number one thing that was quoted in my house growing up. All right, <clears throat> the purpose of this is actually to take it the other way, to take it to heart. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law by living a righteous life in our place. He was the one that met the standard. The interesting thing about Jesus is he actually fulfilled the law twice because then he died on the cross for our sins, taking our punishment. He was our loving substitute and as a result, if you believe you are credited, the word is imputed, with Christ's righteousness. You are granted, you are gifted with Christ's righteousness. Though so you are an unrighteous person, you are declared righteous. Instead of being judged unrighteous that you and I deserve, you are given the incredible gift of being declared righteous by God. Not by your performance, not by your cool group, but solely because of Jesus Christ. And so in Christ, you're given the gift of being justified. And that means if we accept the truth, both bad and the good, you turn to Jesus and be healed and be made right. Now, let's talk about this slide again. Let me keep filling this out. Let's say you've never fully acknowledged that Jesus Christ died on the cross of your sins and rose from the grave. Let me uh, pick up this chart again. As time goes on, you'll see the awareness of God and righteousness. You start seeing, yeah, I'm really different from God, and there's a growing gap here. And becoming a Christian is recognizing that Christ justifies you. He bridges the gap, right? He brings you to God to where this awkward, hard, unpeaceful contrast between you and God is bridged and now there is peace with God. There's a way to God. God comes to you, and you have communion with God, okay? If you've never believed that Jesus Christ has died on the cross of your sins, it is good to come to terms with the good news of God and the good news of Jesus Christ, but you've got to first accept the bad news. I'm a sinner. Even my reasons for doing good are sinful. They're self-serving. And that is what we're called to do. It's easier 
to quit living a lie and quit avoiding the truth and quit defending yourself. I remember waking up years ago in college saying, wait, I can live honestly? It was a radical thought. <laughs> says so much about my first 20 years. I can live honestly? Wait, I don't have to? And then I realized I was spending so much effort exhausting myself, trying to defend myself, trying to prove myself, trying to be somebody that was more than what it really was. And then you believe in Jesus, who is the gift of a right relationship with God. There is peace. There is rest. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to say that you're in the good group. Your good group could go really bad, and you realize you're in the middle of a really bad group, and that's okay because that makes sense. They were full of sinners there too. And you actually get more compassion about them and you could actually walk into the shadows of that bad group and help provide awareness of the bad news and more importantly, the good news. Now, if you're a Christian, let me ask you this. Have you got accepted the gift that you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, but now you're kind of spiritually stagnant? So let me illustrate this with this slide. Okay, so something happens a lot of times in our journey where we st get stunted spiritual growth. As we're growing awareness of God's righteousness and our sinfulness, something else gets in the way, right? Something comes in there, like I'm a, I'm a good parent and I believe in Jesus, right? So that stunts your growth because you kind of think you're a little bit of a sinner, but not that much. You sin some but you're not that bad. You're a good parent. Or I'm doing the right thing. So what happens is with your stunted growth, uh, you're either becoming less aware of your sin because you're mixing messages, or you're not really opening your Bible and seeing all the attributes of God, that He's loving, that He's just, that He's merciful, that He's compassionate, that He is for you, that He's all-powerful, that He's all-knowing, uh, that He is everywhere, that His presence fills everywhere, and, and because you're not really learning more about God, and not, you're not really learning about yourself, and you're mixing some of these other messages in there, you get stunted growth. That's the number one reason, I think, why we have stunted growth, okay? Uh, for example, a few of us have been, um, <clears throat> um, in the last few years in the church, uh, been really struggling with um, uh, deconstructing Christianity, that come from church hurt, come from trauma, okay? And I've been there uh, quite a bit. You know, I've been employed at churches for 25 years, and in the last five or six years, I wasn't before this job. And, um, and, but the 10 years before that, I was in a group that now gets all kinds of bad press. It's called Acts 29 Network. It's got really great press for the first 10 to 15 years, and in the last five years, it's gotten really bad press. There was a, a founding church called Mars Hill, and there's a famous podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. The podcast host was the guy that admitted me into Acts 29. He's a great guy. He's my friend. And the interviewers on this, you know, top podcast, um, half the people are my friends, okay? And I watched all this kind of go down over 10 years, and I was a part of it. But after I stepped out of church ministry and was no longer at group, the phone quit calling. That My friends quit calling. I wasn't a member of this cool kids group anymore. And what actually happened was I started listening to podcasts and reading news articles 
about the shadow side of the network, and it all started to make sense. And at some point, I got trapped in a toxic cycle because I put deconstructors in the place of the cross, or at least in the place of the right one on the top line. And I actually got sinful, other sinful people, and put them somewhere else, and then I got stuck with making progress in debriefing the negative of this group while still uh, loving Jesus. I started to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I started to throw Jesus out because of the church. When, the, when it makes sense here that the church still has sinners, church leaders and church structures, just like political leaders and political structures, just like mom and dads, they're, they're sinners, and we create family systems that follow the bottom line. But when we put them anywhere else on this chart, what starts to happen is we get in a toxic cycle of putting them in the place of authority. And uh, until I put people in the right place, and then until I started opening up my Bible again and started learning about God and turning off my news app, um, did I start to worship Jesus again. Um, it's time to accept God as He is and you as you are. Um, it's, and often mixed messages of trying to justify yourself. Yes, by Jesus I'm justified, but also because of this right thing I do or right group I belong in. That will stunt your spiritual growth more than anything else. Now, uh, if you've been a Christian for a while, this... this uh, we could keep going with this, all right? Uh, you, you study God's Word, you learn a lot about God. You're fully aware that people are human everywhere. You know, you read your news app and say, well, I kind of really know what's going on here. These people are trying to justify themselves. This is a self-serving political party anyway, you know? Or uh, I know what's really going on. That Instagram account, it's really pretty, and I appreciate that, but this person... This person's going to have a hard fall coming soon. Sure enough, a few months later, it does. He or she does. Um, But um, you can get stuck um, or your view of God doesn't go as far because you're not getting as particular on what type of sin is unique to you. All right? What type of sin is unique to you? Uh, The Westminster Confession says people ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, that means going this way and turning this way, but to, it is every person's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins, particularly. It's helpful for you to start paying attention to the unique ways that you sin. It's probably not the unique ways that your family member or your spouse or your friend sins. It's really unique. So, for example, you might talk too much, but below that may be an idol of approval. That's why you're talking too much. That's what needs attention. Or below your organizational skills is an I, a desire for control. Below your self-importance is an idol of reputation. Below your future thinking and inability to be present is an idol of security, or lack thereof. So actually, I'm living in not insecurity, but I'm searching for security with that. Below your skepticism may be an idol of knowledge. And so you and I need to accept the bad news, and even the particular bad news as we get older, and accept the good news of Christ. My brother has accepted the reality of his cancer, 
And he could have stayed and lived a life of lie and stayed in denial, but he didn't. He could have beat himself up for never getting a colonoscopy. I'm proud of him for not doing that because neither one of those routes would help him at all live today. Neither living a lie or beating yourself does any good. It doesn't do any good. It's just another way of not pretending that doesn't exist or beating yourself up is saying that I'm fallen state and rejecting that there's a cross that spans the two. It doesn't provide healing. Instead, accepting the bad news and the good news, it's a sweet year for him of walking with the Lord. You know, as I mentioned, he's empathetic, he's compassionate, he's more patient, he's more forgiving. He has a passion to share with people that are stuck in shadows, stuck in bad news, and he is bringing up Jesus, and he's bringing up heaven all the place, and people are just baffled. It's really a pretty good way to go. Now, you may say, my doctor hasn't been able to heal him, and I agree. We said lately, this is the best that medicine in the world can do, and it's not enough. But God is the best of anything that will ever be provided, and it is more than enough. We've had a lot of discussions about heaven, and I am forever thankful that He is secure and that He is looking to God to deliver Him, and one day He will be. Listen, today I want to say accept the truth and turn to Jesus to be healed. One way to do that is when you come forward and you take communion. This week, with it being the Passion Week, the week prior to Easter, when Jesus actually went to Jerusalem and we celebrate the, all these different conversations, uh, uh, one of those was around the, uh, what we call the Last Supper. It was around the table the night before he died, uh, which is usually uh, thir- recognized as Thursday night. The, uh, he takes the bread and the cup and he says, this is my body which was broken for you. This is my blood which was shed for you. As often as you eat and drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. And he says, this is the new covenant. What's the new covenant? The new covenant is that you are justified by Jesus Christ, that he paid the penalty for your sins and you have a re- legal relationship with God that's secure because he's bridged the gap. Now, if you've never believed, a great way to say I believe is by participating in communion. You're saying, I believe that Jesus justifies me, that Jesus has made me right with God. It's a great way to participate and to say I believe. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, we still do this because we forget. We have all these other messages that are constantly vying for our attention, trying to disciple us. And it's a great way to be reminded again, no, it is Jesus Christ alone that saves me. Okay? So when you are ready over the next song, uh, come and participate. And the musicians come up, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much just for this gift that just when it all seems lost, it all turns around. That just when there is no hope for us, when there's no hope for humanity, you pursue us and you bring redemption. That you credit us with Christ's righteousness. That you empower us to love more. That you make us more compassionate, more loving, 
and more bold with the truth. Father, the people around us that are having trouble defending themselves, that's us too. Having trouble rejecting the bad news, that's us too. And Father, give us the grace to help us gently receive the truth that we need you and that you've got everything that we could possibly have to be right. And that is Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.